If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. Microgravity itself is a stress on plants, and we really weren't exactly sure what was going to happen to the capsaicin levels when we grew peppers in space. The first successful plant transplanting in space, that was super exciting. It seems like there's always at least one or two crew members on ISS that are always just very, very excited to grow the plants. Just seeing the advancement of different crops, seeing the wonderful happy astronauts eating the crops, and just, you know, looking at where we're going in the future. When NASA Kennedy Space Center project scientists Matt Romine and Dr. Joya Massa give gardening tips, they're likely to be talking about zero gravity and LED lighting. Matt and Joya are researchers in food production for NASA's Deep Space Habitation Strategy. They're involved in the ongoing process of experimentation and implementation of technology and procedures that will allow crew members to grow fresh vegetables and fruits aboard the International Space Station. In 2014, Joya served as project team lead for the creation of the ISS first fresh food production system, which was nicknamed Veggie. Meanwhile, Matt, who has been a project scientist with Kennedy since 2016, builds food production hardware, and develops procedures. And one product of his work in 2021 was the growing of the first peppers in space aboard the ISS. And for Matt and Joya, the new discoveries are ongoing as NASA looks forward to the Artemis moon missions and possible future travel to Mars. The following podcast is not in any way, shape, or form endorsed by nor affiliated with NASA. I am not employed by NASA nor otherwise affiliated with them. I just think this is very cool. Matt, I'm going to start this interview with you. I had the pleasure of talking with Joya four years ago, and I know that for her, inspiration started with a wonderful teacher. But what first sparked your imagination to the point that you have made space science and specifically space horticulture the work that you're using your creativity for? Well, I grew up loving space. My dad was a space nerd, so I naturally you know, grew up to enjoy these things as well. But for me, a lot of it was a challenge. I mean, growing plants in space and sustaining people on long-duration missions is that's a large technical challenge with lots of cool science to be done. So I think that's probably what draws me in the most here. You have recently done some extraordinarily cool science growing peppers in space. I'll be asking you a lot more about that. Joya, I did want to ask you, though, the last time you and I spoke, Veggie was in full operation, and the advanced plant habitat had just been tested, was just going up to the space station. That's, can't believe it, four years ago. What have been some of the most amazing milestones for you as a plant scientist since that? I think watching the development, you know, watching more and more plants being grown, Matt has led a lot of that work, and it's just been really wonderful to see. We've had some really interesting, sometimes happy accidents. For instance, the first successful plant transplanting in space, that was super exciting. You know, we looked at the plants that were being transplanted and never thought it would work, but it was actually a case where the the strange fluid physics of the space environment actually worked in our favor for a change. So that was super exciting. But just seeing the advancement of different crops, 
seeing the wonderful, happy astronauts eating the crops and, you know, now with the peppers, which were just tremendously exciting for the whole team and just, you know, looking at where we're going in the future. When you say a happy accident at a transplant, how did that happen? Well, we had a set of plant pillows that had been waiting to be grown for a long period of time. And, you know, astronauts were busy. There was a lot of other science that took priority. So when they finally had an opportunity to grow these, the seeds had been up there for, I think it was two and a half years, Matt. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. And some of the seeds just didn't do very well. So some of them still germinated right away and and grew, but some of them didn't. They were either very slow to germinate or didn't have very good germination. So the astronaut who was doing this experiment, Mike Hopkins, he suggested, you know, I could transplant. Matt and I, you know, talked about this a lot. We were like, well, there's two seedlings or three seedlings over here. Why don't we, you know, have him try transplanting from one pillow to another. And this was really cool. He was an outstanding crew member. He really worked very closely with Matt. He was calling him on the phone from the space station, you know, and working very closely to coordinate doing this research. And he was so careful and precise. We got amazing scientific return working with him. But he was able to take some of the seedlings from a plant pillow that had multiple seedlings in it and transfer into an empty plant pillow that didn't have very good germination or had very slow germination. And, you know, when we do this on Earth, we transplant our plants all the time, right? It's not too big a deal. We try to leave a lot of roots and maybe some soil around the roots when we're digging up the small plants to put them into, you know, into a new pot, for instance. But here, the plant pillows are designed with a gasket to contain the substrate, the particulate media that's inside there so it doesn't float around the space station. And that gasket makes it really hard to remove plants. And we didn't want to damage the other seedlings in those plant pillows. So we only wanted to you know, very carefully take out the extra. But when you do that, a lot of the roots broke off inside. They just weren't able to really get that many roots out because, again, it's a really tight, tight fit. And so there wasn't a lot of root material that came out with these little plants, but there was some. And, you know, normally on Earth, you want to keep the roots as intact and healthy as possible. And if you damage them, chances are that plant won't survive the transplant. It'll go into what's called transplant shock, and it may even even die if there's not enough root material. But in space, the fluid physics of water causes that water to sort of stick to surfaces. And so what we think happened is even though there wasn't very much root material, there was enough that the water was able to kind of stick around it to allow that root to continue to grow and allow the plant to put out other roots when it was transplanted. And in this case, it worked really well. So we were kind of surprised. We thought, oh, we're not sure that it's going to survive, but it did great. That sounds like the most amazing challenge, Matt. You're saying how much you love to challenge. When you get a call from the ISS and you have these plants that almost don't have any roots, what else do you have to think about? Obviously, you don't have to think about aphids or anything, but are there other problems that could happen with just about no root? Uh, well, for me, one of my main concerns was actually how the crew members were going to take it 
they put so much effort into doing this transplant. I, and so they really don't want the plant to die, but this is a really kind of cool experiment to it. You know, Joyo's describing it because this actually is an opportunity where we got to really work with the crew in different ways than we had before, where we actually got to conduct what we call autonomous operations, where basically we gave the crew some guidance on how to take care of the plants and grow them. But they, they made all the calls. Like once they got going, they determined how much water to add, how they care for the plants, when to harvest the plants. And if we're going to go to Mars or other destinations, that's pretty much how it's going to have to happen. We're not going to have a expert on the ground, you know, there and wouldn't expect we're having any botanists flying anytime soon. So that was, you know, a real highlight of those investigations we were doing veggie this year or earlier last year. That was something I really wanted to ask you about, too, is the psychological impacts of the crew. Joy and I talked about that before, and obviously you don't want plants dying because that is going to depress the astronauts. What are you seeing, and this is a question for both of you, in terms of the responses psychologically that the astronauts are having to growing fresh food aboard the ISS? Well, I'll start. You know, so we do have an experiment right now specifically to collect data in that area. And so we are collecting, you know, behavioral health data on the crew, how much time they spend interacting with the plants, how much of that's, you know, scheduled versus just voluntarily working with the plants or viewing the plants, how much, you know, they enjoy having the plants in that environment and enjoy eating the food in terms of how much the plants stimulate their different senses, connections to earth, connections to crew members. And in general, everything is very positive. We do see a lot of variability between astronauts, you know, and just like with any group of people, you have some people that really like plants and want to spend time with them and other people that really could care less and are happy just, you know, doing other things. Astronauts are exactly the same. So we do see that, you know, some people spent a tremendous amount of time with the plants and including, you know, just voluntarily viewing them when they weren't scheduled to work with them or doing even Instagram features and things like that about the gardening, whereas other people, you know, they ate some plants and that was their whole interaction. But we did in general see a very high feeling that the astronauts feel that this work is very meaningful and that having plants is going to be important for future missions. And, you know, we hear that anecdotally as well from crew members that they think this is important and that we need to be doing more of this. We definitely see, you know, positive stimulation of the senses and connection to Earth as well. So we're still collecting all these data and kind of, you know, figuring out what they mean and and what it means for future long duration missions. But this collection of this type of data has become really important for us, you know, for figuring out how important plants are gonna be in future space exploration. But I'll let Matt comment more on his his experience. Yeah, when we grew the chili peppers, that was, there was a lot of really good feedback we grew from that. For one, it was such a long experiment with a lot of ups and downs. So it was kind of interesting to see how the crew engaged and interpreted what was happening. But once we got the fruit on, it was just constant photos on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And when they finally got to eat the peppers, that was even more so. They went as far to make first, you know, made in space, space taco. And they dropped pictures of that down and blew up everywhere. And 
just in general, just a lot of enthusiasm. It seems like there's always at least one or two crew members on ISS that are always just very, very excited to grow the plants. I know that you made me smile with that story about the chili peppers on board and looking at the crew members eating their tacos. That was really fun. I wish you would take me into Kennedy Space Center in your imagination. I know that you're looking at the crops remotely that are in the advanced plant habitat. What are we seeing? What do you see and what are you looking for when you monitor these? Well, initial challenge is getting them to adapt and cooperate the hardware, but once we have the plants growing in the advanced plant habitat, we have a real excellent suite of sensors and cameras and control capabilities that we've never had with the veggie hardware, which is mostly very hands-off and low-tech, which definitely has advantages. With the APH, we're able to control all aspects. So we're able to control the water finely. We're able to take camera pictures from multiple angles. We have infrared cameras in there. So we're able to really fine-tune how we maximize the hardware. There's only so much space to grow plants in there, so we have to really work on how we space the plants, what kind of plants we put in there to make sure we don't overfill or underfill the growing area. Joya and Matt said there's another recent innovation that could ultimately allow astronauts to choose what they'd like to grow in space. We had a new technology that was tested on space station last year, which was seed film. And so this one is kind of fun. And Matt can talk more about it, but it's essentially a way to to have the astronauts be able to plant seeds in space. Generally, we plant everything on the ground and they, you know, add water and, and grow what we plant. But that's not, you know, a great long-term solution. So our team has worked out a way to have the seeds in a water-soluble, food-safe polymer film and have the astronauts actually plant them on space station. And right now we just tested it, you know, with one variety, but ultimately we would want to have a number of varieties and sort of a seed bank that the astronauts could pull from to grow what they want in the future. And, and I'll let Matt talk more about that because it was his, his experiment. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Joy. I totally forgot about that one. Yeah, Joy said, you know, it's solving a real basic operational problem is how do you handle and manipulate seeds in microgravity? But, you know, the implications are, as Joy pointed out, one, you can have a seed bank up on station, which solves a lot of the problems we have because we have to send all of our hardware up right now pre-seeded on the ground. So it adds an additional layer of autonomy to your operations, which we're always after. But also it provides us different ways to augment and supplement our crops. I actually just got a grant recently to investigate adding probiotics, so plant growth promoting microbes that we've isolated from veggie experiments in ISS that we found to be beneficial to plants. So we're going to try to use those microbes, inoculate them into the seed film itself. And now you have a nice little handy package of seed and probiotics for the crew to plant and grow some good crops with. I like that the astronauts can actually choose. If I were up there on the ISS right now, you might get a call from me saying, how do I plant cosmos? How do I plant something of that nature? Any thought, Matt, about flowers or anything in the future besides the zinnias? Oh, definitely. I want, really want the nostoriums. I love edible flowers. But we do get requests that for beautiful things. And that is one of the, the psychosocial questions that really needs to be answered is how large an impact do plants have on 
the psychology of crew members. The zinnia Scott Kelly just adored the flowers up there. Um, just Valentine's Day was recently, and he harvested the flowers on Valentine's Day. So a lot of recent memories there for us. Matt and Joya also offered a closer look at the research on seed fill. Actually, just about a year ago, we had our first test of the seed film on ISS, and we got some really great images of astronaut Mike Hopkins, you know, planting the the seed films and the plant pillows, and they grew really excellent plants. And we just got the samples back recently, and we did microbial analysis to make sure that they are safe for the crew to eat because they unfortunately did not get to eat these plants when they grew them. And everything looks good. It's a real simple polymer. It's actually very similar to the polymer that's used in Listerine fresh breath strips. So we're looking forward to getting the library of seeds up there for the crew members in the future. Yeah, this was the red romaine lettuce. So that was, you know, the very first crop that we ever grew in veggie and the first crop that the astronauts got to eat. So this was the crop that we also selected because we have a tremendous amount of, of data already on that crop. And I would say, and Matt, you know, I think you might agree with me that the plant's from the seed films actually grew better than any lettuce plants we'd ever grown up there before. So that was pretty exciting. Do I understand correctly that you have three different units on board the ISS right now? Well, we have two veggie units and one advanced plant habitat. And then we actually have some other hardware for doing smaller plant growth studies for maybe seedling germination or model organisms, kind of the lab rats of the plant world, which are these tinier plants. And so those are include a multispectral fluorescent imager where we can grow plants in petri dishes and expose them to different light sources and actually image if your plant has a, a protein that's been transformed with a green fluorescent protein reporter gene, for instance. We have something called a brick LED, biological research in canister. So these are very small dishes, but we can do plant experiments with this. And we have LED lighting for that. And there's, you know, commercial hardware on board. So for instance, Redwire has a multi-variable platform, which is a centrifuge, which allows plant growth, and it can be at different levels of gravity. So there's actually more than just the three larger plant growth chambers. But for large plants, it's really the veggie chamber, and we have two of these. And often we'll be doing you know, experiments in both units. For instance, we recently conducted an experiment where we were looking at the different red to blue light ratio, and we were growing the same crops under the same conditions, except with different colors of light, so that we could see the impact that that light had in the spaceflight environment. And then advanced plant habitat, which we think of as veggie's big sister with all the bells and whistles. That's our large plant physiology research chamber. What are you finding when you use different types of light with a different plant? What is working best? Well, what we found is actually, it seems pretty similar to what we find on the ground, which is really great. You know, no one had done these types of studies in the spaceflight environment. And this was really the first of two studies. We did the VEGO4 experiments with Mizuna mustard. So one of our leafy green crop candidates that we've been very happy with. And the plant growth in response to light was not significantly different than what we saw on the ground. So that's great. That means that we can do our light testing 
on the ground and not have to do, you know, that type of work in space, at least for that crop, we'll be repeating this experiment with dwarf tomatoes. And so that's the tomato research that we're really excited about. But we do see, you know, some differences between ground and flight in terms of the plant microbial community, the food safety environment of the plants. There's just a lot more microbes on the space station than in our ground chambers. And we see some slight differences there. But in general, it wasn't too different between ground and flight. And plants grew pretty well in both red to blue light treatments that we used. You know, there's a lot of plant responses that are really unique to light because plants are, you know, they're essentially organisms that are driven by light. And so they're very sensitive to the wavelength, to the intensity, to the duration of the light that they're getting. They can't run away. So they have to modify their growth to their environment. We call that plasticity. They're they're plastic, you know, their genetics, you know, drive the growth, but then their environment shapes the growth. And so, you know, we'll get different responses to light. For instance, uh, plant height may be adjusted by the colors of the light that it's seen, the pigment composition, so the, the color of the leaves, the nutritional content, all of those things can be shaped by the light that the plant is seeing. Wow, this is so cool. Matt, what's been one of the coolest research findings you've had with the space crops within the last, let's just say, last year? Well, a lot's happened the last year, so there's a lot to think about there. Joy already mentioned the transplanting, which would have been my go-to, but something we found real interesting when we grew the peppers is they were a lot spicier than we anticipated. Typically, the peppers are more of a mild pepper, but the feedback from the crew was that they were, they definitely had some heat to them. Not totally unexpected, the flavor of peppers often changes in response to stresses, which is usually water stress, temperature stress. But microgravity itself is a stress on plants, and we really weren't exactly sure what was going to happen to the capsaicin levels when we grew peppers in space. So we have samples coming back this summer. We'll do chemical analysis and really pin down what was going on chemically with the peppers in space to see how future peppers might taste when they grow in space. If microgravity does strange things to us physically, do we know yet what it does in some ways to some of the plants? You know, in general, I mean, there are a lot of what we call differential gene expression changes where genes are turned on and off separately. And a lot of our space biology researchers investigate this plant sense gravity. And, and like Matt said, they consider it kind of a stress. You know, this isn't something they've ever been exposed to, a lack of gravity. Gravity is kind of the, you know, the constant for all organisms. But overall in our crops, we don't see huge changes. So while all these genes are changing, I think it goes back to that plant plasticity and their ability to adapt. You know, if you can keep that environment for the plants good in terms of watering and airflow and nutrients and light and temperature, if you can keep all of those things in kind of the right range, plants grow pretty well. And so our crop plants, while the genes may change, and we don't really focus on that in our research, but the overall, you know, food that you're producing is pretty similar. You know, now that we have astronauts eating this, we're also doing the taste test, the organoleptic evaluation and collecting data on that. And 
And we're seeing, you know, fairly similar things. Sometimes they even rate the produce higher in space than, you know, similar groups of people tasting it on earth. But that may also just be due to the fact that they don't have as many fresh vegetables up there. So it's kind of a treat. But yeah, in general, plants can grow pretty well, but the trick is keeping that environment in the right range. I'm curious too, as we think ahead to growing plants on the moon and ultimately growing on Mars, what are some of the considerations, Matt, I'll start with you and then I'd love you to hear from Joya on this as well. What are some of the considerations you have to keep in mind now that you're going to have to scale up and be thinking about different environments? Well, Joy mentioned that part of the, the foremost challenge is maintaining the environment and the number one variable to control is the water. Watering plants in microgravity is very difficult. It's one of our largest focus areas right now. The plants often oscillate between being overwatered and underwatered. What's really great about going to the moon or Mars is once we get over one temp G, water starts to act somewhat normal again. It starts to mix oxygen right. It doesn't stick to everything and cause all kinds of problems. So in some ways, I'm looking forward to going to planetary surfaces because it's going to make the water part of things easier. Now, as far as the scaling up goes, yeah, we're definitely need more power, more thermal control, things like that. But we also are getting to the point where when we grow more plants at scale like that, we can actually start contributing to the, the life support systems of that spacecraft, space hab. Plants are able to you know, scrub CO2 and produce oxygen and purify water and things like that in addition to being a food source. And I didn't know that about the water. Joya, what would you add to that? Well, yeah, I would agree with everything Matt said, you know, and some of the other things that we're thinking about and trying to better understand and figure out are, you know, how that deep space radiation is going to impact things. So right now, the International Space Station is in low Earth orbit, which means it's inside the Earth's protective magnetic shield. And so we're not, you know, on Earth because we're inside that shield. We're not getting the space radiation that can be very damaging. But as we go farther, as we go to the moon or onto Mars, the plants and the astronauts will be exposed to both solar particle events and galactic cosmic radiation. And so we have a colleague, Dr. Ye Zhang, and she's working on trying to understand how that radiation may impact the plants. And that, that could be a big thing to try to figure out. We'll be also having to work on lifetime, you know, the seeds have to be stored for a long duration and, and, you know, things may actually have to be sent to Mars before the astronauts even get there. So how to store things well, how to ensure that they're going to be viable for the crew when they get there is really important. And then another big aspect that we're learning a lot more about is the microbiome. So you have plants, you have humans, and you have both of their associated microbial communities, this plant-human microbiome. And we're really interested to see what that's like now and how that may change over time. So we're actually working on a publication now looking at how the microbial communities have changed over time with all of the veggie growth, you know, since 2014, when we first started growing plants and veggie. And, you know, what we ultimately would like to do is, is figure out, is there a way to use that microbiome to maybe use biostimulants, which are like a protective kind of probiotic to help 
produce a microbiome that will protect the plants and protect the humans. So we don't want any pathogens getting in our system. So, so we have to learn what's there first and how it changes in response to time and to that spaceflight environment before we can figure out how we can maybe use it to protect things. So, so that's a really fun challenge that we're also working on. That's really an interesting one because I can't help but wonder when I hear you say that, if you can come up with a substance that protects plants and protects humans in space, what would be the implications here on Earth? Could it possibly someday protect people against things like COVID, for example? Yeah, you know, viruses are a whole nother story. But, you know, I mean, boosting your immune system is something that there's a lot of industry on Earth looking at. Obviously, probiotics are a very big area for nutrition. And I think people are understanding more and more about the human microbiome and how you can, you know, manipulate that. But in agriculture, that's also a big area of research. This They call them agricultural biostimulants. And so there are a number of companies working on treatments for seeds, for instance, that you could put on your seeds and then, you know, plant in the field and it gives the plant a boost. So we're not you know, we're watching what industry does in this area as well and trying to take lessons that we're learning from them to figure out really what the best approach might be for space and for controlled environments. But certainly, I think, you know, exchanging information and just learning about this closed environment of like a spacecraft will help us learn more about how we can be better and healthier here on Earth. It's amazing how the more space research we do, the more we know about our planet Earth. What about those tomatoes? I wanted to ask you about that crop. What are they doing with dwarf tomatoes? When does this happen? Yeah, there's actually three tomato experiments scheduled for the space station or in planning for the space station right now. So one of them is our experiment that Matt and I are working on, and this will be the comparison of the light levels with a red robin, a commercial tomato variety, a dwarf variety. It only gets about 12 inches tall at most, more like eight. And we're doing our pre-flight verification tests for this now. So hopefully this will be growing in veggie, you know, by the end of this year, early next year. Then we also have some external investigators who have NASA funded grants to do tomato studies. Actually, I think there's three additional ones, but... You know, we have a variety of university faculty who've applied to and, and done grants, and they'll be testing tomatoes both in veggie and in advanced plant habitat. So we're really excited. There's a lot of interesting work on tomatoes, looking at things like responses to pathogen signaling. So molecules that can simulate what happens when an insect attacks. So we can learn more about that process. Looking at tomatoes genetically engineered for growth in space to see if they will, in fact, do better in that environment. These are very, very small tomato plants. So a lot of exciting research should be coming out in the next couple of years on tomatoes for space. Matt, what's currently happening aboard the ISS? What's growing at the moment? And before those tomatoes get there, what are you expecting for a harvest? Oh, let's see. Right now, we at KSC don't have any of our work up there right now. I believe we have some cotton culture that was supposed to be started. And yeah, Joy, do you know exactly what's growing up there PI-wise? Yeah, I, yeah, I know I, the cotton I, is going on in advanced plant habitat. These are these are like cell cultures, and that's an experiment that's run through the ISS National Lab Organization. And then we have some testing for that 
that centrifuge that I talked about. So we have some testing of just model plants for that centrifuge that's going on right now. But we'll have some new science going up, I think, later this week, actually, when the next launch to space goes. This is a commercial item that Sierra Space is flying that will have a new root module for testing watering of crops in space that will hook to the lights of the veggie. So this is the company that actually developed veggie and they've come up with some new ideas for watering that will be tested. I think that's called X-Roots. And there's a science mission directorate tech highlight out on that right now. So if you want to learn more about that, if you go to the NASA Science Mission Directorate tech highlights, then and we can find the link for that for you, that talks about that mission. So that's coming very soon, and that's very exciting. And here's an update. This conversation was actually pre-recorded, and since the time of this interview, the new watering module Joya mentioned has been delivered to the ISS. It flew on Northrop Grumman's 17th contracted resupply mission under the second commercial resupply services with NASA on February 19th, 2022. And yeah, we'll have, you know, just a lot of different science lined up later this year. Some experiments with model organisms looking at seed to seed production in plants. So they want to look at epigenetic changes. So changes from the environment in terms of just the methylation of the DNA. So you're not changing the DNA code, but you're changing features in the DNA in response to the environment. And the principal investigator, Dr. Annalisa Paul from University of Florida, will be looking at how those changes can go to the next generation of this model organism that will be grown in the advanced plant habitat. So that's going to go up later this summer. We're real excited about that one. Did I also see from Kennedy Space Center that the Advanced Plant Habitat has been breaking some records or setting some records in 2021? Yeah, that was part of the PEPPER experiment. We set the longest continuous plant growth duration record at 137 days. We had originally planned the mission to be 120, but we will go a little bit longer and bypass the previous longest, which was the zinnias that Toya grew in the veggie at 90 days. So I was real excited to be able to demonstrate such a long-term continuous experiment like that where lots of things can go wrong and make it successful. We also fed a lot of crew members, which was kind of an accidental record. We just happened to have our first harvest of the peppers when one crew was there. And in between the first and second harvest, the crew changed over on ISS. So we were able to get a whole other set of crew members to come in and try the peppers. So Yeah, a lot of really good data from that as well. I do see the link here that Joya was talking about, which is science.nasa.gov and forward slash technology for the SMD technology highlight article. Thank you. What has been one of the most fun experiences either of you has had in an extremely cool job within, let's say, about the last six months or so? Matt, I'll start with you. I've kind of broken a record. I keep coming back to the (laughs) chili pepper experiment in the advanced plant habitat, that was, you know, four years in the making. And I guess, you know, it was really interesting because there's so many highs and lows in it. We had a while there where we started experimenting. The plants were, they were a little bit delayed from the ground results we had had. We didn't think too much of it, but it took a long time for it to come on. We had one plant that was real stressed out. It had a physiological condition called intumescence going on. And it quickly put two fruit on 
but then no more came for a long time. We had tons of flowers. Plants kept flowering. We kept pollinating the flowers by oscillating the wind speeds. We even got the crew members involved to go in there and stick their fingers in the flowers and try to get the, the pollen moving around, which is really cool to see on camera, microgravity. It looks like little asteroids shooting all over the advanced plant habitat. We just kept waiting and waiting. The flowers just were not becoming fruit. And then just one week, we went from two fruit to over 20 fruit. So it's, I guess, sort of like on Earth where when the plants are ready, they're going to they're gonna do what they want to do. Sounds like they're every bit as capricious up there in zero gravity as they are down here. <laughs> Joy, how about for you? Most fun experience in the last six months or so? Yeah, this was a little different. So, you know, we do a lot of ground research as well. And we had an opportunity to do a parabolic flight. So our ground research is basically, you know, the stepping stone that we use for our flight research. And this parabolic flight was kind of an intermediate test. We have been testing crops called microgreens, which are very small, densely grown crops. They haven't yet flown in space. But one of the things that we need to consider when we're growing these little plants where you plant them in kind of a very dense lawn almost, and then you cut them off and you have all these little tiny plants and that's your salad. And the reason that we're growing these is they're very nutritious. The nutrients are concentrated and they're also very delicious. And Matt actually pioneered a lot of the work with these plants for our group at Kennedy and convinced everyone that these would be great space crops. And so one of the challenges though for microgravity is, you know, little tiny plants are going to go everywhere when you harvest them. You know, on the ground, they just get cut with scissors and collected in bag. But we needed to figure out how we could do that in microgravity. So I uh, was part of a team that had an opportunity to develop different approaches to cutting these tiny plants and to bagging them, and then to test those inside of a glove box on these parabolic flights. So what a parabolic flight is, it's an airplane where basically you fly in these big swooping loops in the top of the parabola, when you go up, you kind of plummet down in free fall. And so you get about 20 seconds of zero gravity and things float. And then you come out of that and you get heavy gravity, you get two gravity, and then you go back up to the top again. And they repeat these looping patterns or swooping patterns over and over again. So we'll do sets of five of these parabolas and we'll do six sets of five of them, like 30 parabolas. So this is anecdotally known as the vomit comet, right? It's just, it can be very difficult on your stomach, but it can allow you to do a lot of good research. And this allows people like me or, you know, other scientists to actually fly with their experiments and test them out. You know, I'm not going to get a chance to fly to the space station to test my research, but I can test it in these short bursts. So I was part of the Kennedy Space Center team that was able to do this. And I went on one flight, you know, we had three flights and we had different people that went on the different flights and we were able to test different approaches to harvesting and collecting these plants. And sometimes, you know, we were, were really good. We got all of the plants harvested from our small grow boxes and in bags. We had attached bags. We had different types of harvesting. We had like a blade that slides or one that 
turns and cuts the stems. We had all different ways that we were testing this. Sometimes we got them all. Sometimes they just sort of went everywhere. And we had these videos of little plants floating all over the place, but it was super fun, super satisfying. And we learned a lot. And we have an intern right now who's analyzing all of the data from these flights to figure out what's the best approach. So that was really, really, very useful. What about anybody who's listening who is a citizen scientist or an educator and would like to get their classroom involved or just like to be involved as a citizen scientist? What are some of the resources they might like to know about? And this is a question for both you, Joy, and for Matt. Yeah, well, I'll start. We actually have a program we've been working on for about six years now called Growing Beyond Earth, which is run out of the Fairchild Tropical Botanic Garden in Miami. And actually, if you go to NASA's citizen science webpage, which is science.nasa.gov, and I think slash citizen science, or you can just go there and click on the link for citizen science. This is one of the programs now listed on the NASA citizen science site. And this is a program for middle school students and high school students, but it's actually run by the teachers. So middle school and high school teachers can apply to be a part of this program. And then they get a growth box. If they get selected, they get a growth box that is mimicking the veggie system very well. So we have about 300 or more classrooms around the United States conducting research. This has really been kind of our army of researchers for a number of years now because they can test different crop varieties and different horticultural approaches to growing these crops. And when they have good candidates, then we test those under our higher fidelity growth chambers at Kennedy Space Center. So their research feeds into our research. It's kind of our pipeline. So this has been tremendously wonderful. We have a lot of interactions with the teachers. We have monthly chats with you know the scientists and the teachers. We have a kickoff and then we have a big student symposium in April where the students can present their research. That's one of the opportunities. I know, Matt, you've worked with the some of the other groups, like Exolab. Yeah, talk about one thing real yeah. It's something that's real approachable is we have the Space Chili Grow Pepper Plant Challenge. And this is a citizen science effort led by Jacob Torres, who's a colleague of mine, Joyous. And it's pretty much what it sounds like is he sends you seeds and some advice on what equipment to use and how to propagate the plants. And then classrooms and individuals all around the country are growing peppers and sending the data back to Jacobs and integrating it. And we're basically getting a real nice view of how peppers respond to different environmental variables, which is really valuable data for us because peppers are not growing that much indoors. So a lot of new data to be had there. And the Joy Mentor is also a group called Mang2.io. And they had a really awesome experiment go up recently called Exolab eight where they're growing legumes and studying a lot of the effects of microgravity on those plants it's a really great group that has a large educational network as well that if people are interested they can can be contact with and would that be the same link as joy mentioned or differently to find this different one i can find one yeah, as Matt mentioned, the Space Chili Grow Pepper Challenge, that one's just been great. Jacob has engaged a huge community. He has a Facebook site for that. So your listeners can just look up Space Chili Grow Pepper on Facebook. 
and I think that comes up. There we are, and that's at magnitude.io. Ooh, that's Ted Tagami and his crew, and mm-hmm. Facebook is groups forward slash space chili challenge, C-H-I-L-E for the chili peppers. Final question here, signature question for my podcast usually. If people can only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you say the past six months have taught you that you'd like them to know? Um, Well, I guess I can take a stab at it. You know, I think, I think we constantly have to be flexible and adaptable. You know, I think we have to learn from our plants a little bit. We have to adapt to the environment because the environment's constantly shifting and, you know, and as everyone has had to adapt to COVID and how that's impacted our life, we have also had to adapt, you know, quickly to the changes that we're seeing in science, to technical issues in hardware, you know, we find ways to adapt and we, we just try to find, you know, solutions to challenges to build on to, to meet the next challenges. So there's so many questions and every answer raises new questions, but I think just being flexible and adaptable is the most important thing you can do in our work and anywhere else. Matt? Yeah, I'm going to kind of borrow on that one a bit. Before coming to NASA, I was in the Marine Corps, we always had the saying, Semper Gumby, which is a play on the Marine Corps model, Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful. Always got to be flexible. Rigid thinking is just not very useful for work we do. Things are very different in space and you expect them to be on the ground. So you just got to be flexible and adapt to challenges. Matt and Joya, thank you for your time today. Thank you. This was fun. You and I have been listening to Kennedy Space Center project scientists, Dr. Joya Massa and Matt Romine. For the latest updates on what's happening aboard the ISS, go to nasa.gov and type International Space Station in their search box. This will bring up both NASA's Space Station blog updates and current news features. And if you're an educator or citizen scientist and can't wait to get involved with this, here are some of the ways you can. Check out the NASA Citizen Science page at science.nasa.gov. You can also get a look at magnitude.io for their educational network. And as a citizen scientist, find out more about the Space Chili Grow Pepper Challenge, which Matt mentioned on Facebook. Their page is groups forward slash Space Chili Challenge. Once again, this podcast is not in any way, shape, or form affiliated with nor endorsed by NASA. I am not employed by NASA nor affiliated with them, but I had a great time talking with Joya and Matt. That concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.